Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hello, culminators. We are here again today, and I've got one of my regular friends, someone you've seen before, Dan Hull, who is, uh, how can I put it? He's everywhere. He's been everywhere in so many ways. He has uh, a, a DC lawyer. He knows everybody that I know and everybody that you know. He's uh, been all over the spectrum politically during his life. Uh, he has uh, had some some unbelievable litigation adventures, including this year. I think the latter he doesn't necessarily want to talk about so much because they involve. Uh, well, I'm I'm here to talk about anything you want to talk about. Okay, I I I, I did have the impression that you're a little tired out of January six stories. No, I'm I'm just filling up my my basket with more stories, but um, no, it's 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 an okay place to even start. It is but, because um, it does it does lead into what we had talked about as being sort of our over our main whatever, theme. Whatever, which, whatever you want to do, um, I'm 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 wrong a lot, as you know, but sometimes I get some of the pieces of the puzzle right. So, so you all right? So then we'll start there since you've invited me, and after all, we're recording. It's not as if I've I, I've uh, sandbagged you here. That we could, you know, if you wanted to back out, we could. It is, you and I spent a lot of time last year talking about what you were going to be doing in Washington and the, the trial, you were representing Joe Biggs in the January 6th right. uh, trial. And uh, despite your best efforts, um, unsurprisingly, given what we know about the District of, of the District of the District of Columbia, um, he was convicted. Uh yeah, he he was, and I think um, um, nothing would have surprised me near the end. But I think it's fairly clear to everyone, and I'll just you know, say this now that um, while I appreciate the courts, especially the D.C. district courts, rising to the occasion, there's you know 15 active judges, then some others, and they did a marvelous job of um, managing this. But this was this was all novel. Uh, every judge, whether they want to admit it or not, whether they're a Trump appointee or Obama appointee or a Clinton, everybody was an activist judge. Uh, everyone was trying to figure out what to do with this, uh, uh, quote, storming of the Capitol. And um, I think to a man, and I think they got this right, I think the judges, um, maybe one exception, all believed whether they were, uh, well, it, it's interesting to me that the two main trials, the first one was Oath Keepers, there were two or three sets of those. And the second was the one that I was involved with, with, with Norm Pattis and, and seven other lawyers, six other lawyers. And that um, was before um, a different judge. But the judges couldn't have been more different uh, in terms of their background, uh, political affiliations, uh, except that they're very good lawyers, very good judges. They would not be there in the first place. And all of them agreed that you do not interfere with the peaceful transfer of power. You don't do that. Uh, that's probably the only thing anyone could agree on. And then from there, I think we, um, so that, you know, there were some novel notions of what we should be doing under these circumstances. I think after a while, with the exception of maybe the low information far right, everybody sort of got the idea that it's not okay and not First Amendment to break windows in the Capitol on January 6th while people are working. You know, you don't do that. And um, I, I, uh, I I think most people understand that. But another thing they did, one of the things they didn't get was um, what to do. Well, they, they rewrote some law as far as I'm concerned um, and, and others on what future dangerousness meant. Like, what do you need to keep somebody in jail prior to trial? And we had... Um, with one exception, all the defendants in my case, they didn't hurt anybody, they didn't yell 
bullet anybody. They didn't break anything. There was one window broken. And interestingly enough, the guy who broke the window uh, was very well represented by uh, a gentleman named Steve Metcalf, along with Roger Roots. The, the guy who broke the window was not uh, convicted of uh, seditious conspiracy, which I thought was pretty interesting. Dominic Pizzola. In, in but, other words, he they seditious conspiracy was one of the charges that went to the jury. That they seditious there was conspiracy all around, um, which is another problem. Well, let me go back. First of all, you've got uh, future dangerousness. Second, this new idea of obstruction, which I think a lot of people thought was wrong. Uh, obstruction is normally associated with, you know, uh, uh, intimidating witnesses, um, um, destroying documents, that kind of thing in a jury trial. But it was um, tortured into this notion of interfering with basically a ceremonial procedure on January 6th, um, which is we've had since, I don't know, 1830s or something like that. But um, conspiracy um, was all around. The convictions were uh, for that all around in our case, except for Dominic Pozzola on seditious conspiracy. There was conspiracy to commit sedition, overthrow the government, and also conspiracy to obstruct the certification of the Biden-Harris vote. But I thought it was interesting that that the one guy did anything violent or broke anything wasn't convicted of seditious conspiracy. I'm not that surprised because the government kind of needed him to tie this all together. But you had future dangerousness, um, uh, a new notion of uh, obstruction, which I think is probably wrong, might go to the Supreme Court. And then a conspiracy. Uh, like the the theory in my case, which was very new, it's I won't go into it too much, but it was basically, it's very easy to find, as you know, conspiracy under the law. Um, but in our case, even with this bright jury, I think it's fair to say that no one in the room on May 4th, when this verdict came down, really thought there was a common sense conspiracy or a legal conspiracy. It wasn't there. And even though um, everyone was convicted of that, except for Dominic Pizzola, all the conspiracy counts on the seditious conspiracy one. And right now we have on a kind of a slow track, we have uh, motions for acquittal. We have uh, a couple of sometimes with motion for new trial and sentencing coming up in the next two months. So a motion but, for acquittal is the equivalent to what we civil lawyers would call uh, JNOV, the old. Yeah, fashion. yeah. It's Rule 50 civil. It's a Rule 29 uh, criminal. And it's basically you take it away from the jury and say, nah. And I, I think that's what should happen. I think that's the right move. I think that's what Judge Kelly should do. There was no conspiracy. I think on May 4th, everyone was surprised that including the press, including the mainstream press, that there was conspiracy. It was really interesting, and, and this is not, I know exactly what you want to talk about, but it was very interesting to me that, and maybe it is, that- You want to talk about whatever you think is interesting. Well, I think this kind of gets into judicial culture and would you call it judicial meltdown? I think um, there has been a systematic meltdown of, our, of the federal judiciary, yeah. But- it, Let's talk Maybe. about the culture. I'm not sure I'd go quite that far, but I think that it's 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 obvious to me that even our mainstream press, which kind of put us in this position to begin with, um, by the time that um, any of the Trump appointees or any of the judges actually saw these oath keepers or they saw these proud boys, they had this notion in their mind of like, you know, young brown shirts, Ku Klux Klan, everybody was kind of brainwashed that way. And nothing could be further from the truth about the problem. I don't know that much about the Oath Keepers. I know they're very, well, I know some things are very different than the Proud Boys. Proud Boys said dumb things before and after January 6th, but there, were, there was no conspiracy there. And I think that um, a judge under these circumstances on this record after four months of uh, uh, you know, letting people try their case. I think it's an easy move for him to just totally take those counts away uh, from the jury and say there was no conspiracy. I mean, trespass charges would have done quite nicely, thank you, all along. But we needed to do something with this that was unusual. Uh, the courts took a kind of, uh, and I, I thought sort of brave leadership role. I'm not exactly sure how it came down in the uh, district court. You got 
you get judges, 15 of them competing on different theories. You get law of the case, but now you've got law of the district and it's all kind of coming at, you know, different judges. From, it, it was hard for them to get a consensus on on what some of these things meant. But, they but, had, you, but you would agree then that there was a consensus among the judges in that district that this is, we've got a mission here. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 there had to be. And and I'm not sure that there, there had to be. And you think that in other words, you think that that might be appropriate. I don't know if it was appropriate. I think it's okay for I'm like you. I I think that uh, judges are are should not be activists. But I think when an historical event like this happens, they can step up a little bit and do different things. And I think they tried to do this, but I think that they they went way over the top. Um, you didn't need. To have, and this is basic kind of Dan Hall theory, a completely new idea of what it takes to keep people in jail pre-trial. Good God, um, these guys are, you know, with the exception of Enrique Terrio, who is probably the real hero um, in terms of the way he, de you know, his deportment in court and things like that. Um, none of these guys had any criminal records. Uh, they were fam and. Enrique's was a long time ago. They're family men. Um, yes, they're politically active, which the country decided to punish them for. And this has said dumb things. And they got a lot of the uh, the rubric caught up with, uh, they'd been caught up with uh, Gavin McGinnis wrong. But these are not people who needed to be in jail before trial. And it was an incredibly complex trial with lots of discovery. So they're in jail basically two years before the trial starts. I think that was wrong. The obstruction was wrong, and I think the way the conspiracy, while creative, that was um, accepted by the judge, conspiracy theory, uh, e even in the loosest sense of an agreement to do something. Mind you, these people aren't, I don't want to talk too much here without getting you involved in this, but these people aren't being um, accused of pulling off a conspiracy. They're, they're being accused of having one, and it wasn't there. It was never there. Um, one of the things that happened during the trial, in my trial, was, which is surprising and changed the way we tried it, was there was an enormous amount of uh, leeway given to the government to cross-examine any witness that was put on for, uh, whether it was a defendant or whether it was a uh, somebody on behalf of the defendant, including a rabbi. We even had a rabbi testify for a day and a half. It was quite effective, a proud boy rabbi. And um, Who was that? Um, he had a number of different names, oh, but oh. I think the one that uh, he had a number of different names, but the one I think it was Lev Asher. Okay. From Miami. I, I may have got that wrong. Okay. Uh, he, he was very effective, very interesting. Um, yeah, I would think people are kind of cynical about, hey, you know, you're having, we had Proud Boys who were black. Uh, we had Proud Boys for well, en Enrique is, is, is a, an excellent it example is. of. Of, of a uh, real white supremacist. The head of the West Virginia, uh, who's a, uh, probably was a, a black articulate guy. Well, I was saying articulate, I'm probably going to get attacked. Yeah, I know, right. That, that, you're, not allowed, you're not allowed to say that because- Super, of... super articulate guy. Right. Uh, who had even had a Proud Boys picnic at one point. And, and it was obviously a, you know, a, a mixed group of people. Um, but no matter who was testifying, and this happened more toward the end of the trial and in the rebuttal case, um, slightly toward the rebuttal case. What happened was the judge would let almost anything in that would um, uh, be damning with respect to those defendants personally or things they'd seen. And, and mind you, and I'm not. You, you were actually you were saying something about the scope of cross examination, which I which perked my ears up because. Ex explain what 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 the standard is and what well, how how cross examination is generally supposed to be limited to what direct is, and you have objections for you know things like uh, another uh, in other words the so relevant testimony and prejudice sure questions and, about um, what that witness said on direct yeah and and it was a little bit more open than that and part of the problem was the way there was so much evidence so many messages uh, hundreds of the, the, the government. It was hundreds, hundreds of thousands of messages that the government was able to, to uh, cherry pick and get into the case, which resulted in the, the uh, uh, pre-trial imprisonment in the first place. But it was 
it was amazing how much was let in. And I don't think the, the judge was doing that for, I think he was just doing it to try to be fair, let people, you know, try their cases. But by the time it ended, to make a very um, uh, long story short, it was obvious to everyone, including the mainstream press, the New York Times, which I thought was very honest about this, uh, that there was no conspiracy. I mean, where was it? And why are you letting on all this damning uh, evidence on these cross-examinations? You even saw that from Alan Fewer in two articles in the New York Times. Like, there doesn't seem to be conspiracy here. Um, a lot of this stuff is coming in and the jury's hearing it. It's a smart jury, maybe a little bit culturally different. I mean, you know, your average juror here was like, you know, Mr. Rogers, if it was a guy, or Angela Davis, if it was a woman. <laughs> but, but, and we went through 230 people, something like that, for four weeks to pick the jury. But it was still, it was a, it was a problem. And uh, anyway, so we had the jury we had, and we thought, well, at least we got a bright jury. And I thought the jury would not find a conspiracy. I think what happened, and, and I will shut up for a second, and you can ask the question, is that this jury... Like, I mean, the judge is always a North Star. Judge Kelly is a great judge, um, did a good job of moving this. Some people may disagree with me, but I thought he did a good job. And he, uh, and he did a good job on helping us pick a jury. But this jury was signaled, not in a, in a benign way, an inadvertent way, not in, any, in, a, in a nefarious way, that, look, you don't like these people. They're scumbags and probably Nazis. And not the kind of people you like. And what I'm going to do is give you every bit of information you can you can have to hate them, to reverse engineer back into a cons to the conspiracy counts. So the instructions, none, most of those jurors, I don't think believed, probably including the foreman, that there was a conspiracy even under the loose instructions that they were given. But they were given so much information about these guys. I think they felt like they had to do something with it. And they did. So I was a little, I was a little surprised. So what you just described is pretty much exactly the opposite of what judges are are expected to do, right? They're one of their one of their many gatekeeping functions of of the court is to prevent undue prejudice. Now, obviously, when you're trying someone for a crime, you're there to prejudice them. But there is an evidentiary principle that things that are more prejudicial than they are probative, subject to the judge's discretion, are yeah, and not to be admitted. Absolutely. And this this is a tough case for any judge to try. Uh, it, we were all, uh, including the prosecution, the defense, making up a lot of things as we went along and improvising. There was a lot of tactics changed. Uh, for example, I thought this case was completely about the Proud Boys. Uh, whether they were defendant or not. And you could not try this case without having, for instance, uh, Gavin McGinnis on the stand for three days. Um, I was voted down on that. And, and in fact, it became sort of a point of hostility. And that's fine. I get it. But um, you mean, I think you mean all, all trials are about people. Among, among the defense group. Well, at first it was. Uh, first, it was five to five to three against it and then it was five to two and then it was five to or excuse me six to two and then it was like pretty much me against everyone and i don't see how you could have tried this case without him especially if there was any doubt by the time that it, i actually think it was a good idea not to put him on and put some other witnesses on when we saw what the judge was doing with the cross examinations and no I, again he wasn't doing anything um, nefarious. There was no cronyism. There was no uh, political agenda that he was following, no career agenda. There was no money under the table. It was just one of these things that happened where, and this might fit in your topic, where because the judiciary didn't the judiciary didn't know quite what to do, it let in a little bit too much uh, before a jury that probably shouldn't have tried this case. Uh, the case law was squarely, uh, for keeping the jury, you know, transfer is hard to get, as you know. Um, you can delay a trial because of prejudice, which we did the June sixth or the the June, excuse me, the June, uh, the hearings a year ago. But getting it moved is hard. But, 
But I, I thought the jury was really kind of interesting because I, I, I expected a little bit more out of them. And I think at the last minute, they just, that North Star's the judge. These instructions don't quite say conspiracy to me based on what these guys did, but we've gotten so much stuff. I think we need to do something with it. And this is what we're being told to do. I do not think the, the judge meant to send that message, but I think that's what happened. In fact, I'm sure that's what happened. Um, so I, I think you've got um, a good situation for acquittal here. I'm not sure that'll happen uh, and or a new trial. And um, uh, the defense attorneys, while they didn't always get along, which is an understatement, um, there were, everybody worked very, very hard. I mean, you had people involved in this, like uh, me and one other lawyer for two and a half years, uh, every day, pretty much nothing else. Um, you had people who were latecomers who were just, uh, I thought, very effective, including especially Norm Pattis. Uh, for reasons that I'll never understand, this judge loved Norm Pattis. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's kind of like having William Buckley decide that his best friend is Bill Kunstler. <laughs> and um, in, in some ways, but, um, you know, Norm is, is great. Uh, he's good. We don't always agree on things, but uh, that was the North Star for the judge. The interesting thing about that was that he was the latest to the case, uh, despite the fact that besides me, he probably knew the most about the Proud Boys. Um, most defense attorneys couldn't really be bothered with what kind of organization the Proud Boys was. I don't, you know, I don't roll that way, but that's just me. Uh, I think trials are about people. Uh, but um, the, the, our system is not set up from the standpoint of either judging or lawyering for the kind of thing that happened. And I think we went a little bit overboard in terms of, uh, uh, you know, letting it be overcharged. No one, and I'm, this is speculation, but no one was more surprised by how well the government did in these cases than the Department of Justice. Um, I think they were very surprised when these guys were put in jail after being out of jail, a couple of them for two months with fine records. Uh, even the, and, I, and that's where I would start in the case. Um, and April 6, uh, 2021, there was a hearing that um, was to revoke the home detention, if you will, of a couple of the defendants, Joe Biggs and Ethan Nardine. And I think some people have forgotten this. I don't, maybe they live in the past too much, but no one from the New York Times to the Chicago Tribune to uh, this, you know, the, the uh, uh, most conservative newspaper you can think of to the, to the uh, Socialist Workers Party you know, papers thought that they were going to put these guys in jail pretrial. No one thought that. They had good records, um, but they were. And there was a big gap between April 6th and I think April 19th when that decision was um, uh, handed down by the judge. And, 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 and it shocked everyone. And then we kind of forgot about it. Now, I remember hearing from you that you, you, something seemed to snap. It's like some circuit was tripped regarding this judge's view of Joe Biggs. Did you ever figure out? It wasn't, it wasn't Joe Biggs. It was just the Proud Boys in general. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I'm not sure why. At the time, you didn't have Enrico Terrio as a uh, um, uh, defendant. I think judges, federal judges in general in criminal cases tend to, I mean, that you've got to look at what the prosecution does, especially DOJ. They have great lawyers, great people, great resources, because they're kind of the expert on the case. So they are, to use the expression, North Star again. They're the North Star for the judge. That's fine in the beginning. But things happened where I think people were kind of wondering, you know, we were uh, banging on the table, no conspiracy, no conspiracy, no conspiracy. The notion of a conspiracy, that this would happen again, was also not only underpinned the conviction, but it was it was the the conspiracy conviction. What I'm trying to say is very related to pretrial imprisonment. You almost all have to believe in that, and there really wasn't any, and there wasn't much evidence of it except for a few things here said here and there that I wish people had not said or not gestured in a certain way, but um, they did. And, and the government really made hay with it. But I think the government was really surprised with how well they did. I've told a couple of prosecutors that, and they don't say anything. 
but I think you guys did really, really well, didn't you? You know, and I mean, but do you mean, do you really think, I I mean, everyone knows about juries in the district of DC. Have they ever in, in the last 25 years given any kind of a fair deal to a Republican or conservative defendant that you are aware of on a, in a political case? And this is a political case. Yeah, I, mean, I think sometimes they have. I think sometimes, I mean, I, I, that one comes to mind. I know that... Um, Scooter Libby dragged Ted Wells down from... Uh, the, I hear Jerusalem. what you're saying. Okay. And then, like, I was thinking about Greg Craig, got, got the, the Clinton uh, a crony and uh, general counsel was uh, acquitted. Uh, by DC jury, and I think probably Clinton helped. I don't think it was that political. Um, and and the thing about the jury here was a double-edged sword because we got a pretty intelligent jury, pretty fair. I thought that the most um, on the jury, the most sympathetic men to our case were two black men on the jury because they know how guys behave. And when we got uh, when I found out the, who the jury foreman was, it made a little bit more sense. He'd been very active uh, uh, in um, uh, gender fluid politics, if you will. We found out later. Um, we did a, the Enrique um, Terrios lawyers did a great job. Uh, they and Nordine's lawyers of of getting the the, the jury studied and, and the panel studied. But there's just an enormous amount of people. Some of them we were doing research on while we were uh, vordering them. Uh, which the judge mainly took um, charge of, but I, I, I was there. That, was there any was there any um, static over that? Because I, I know there have been some very significant rulings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, about the use of social media to research jurors. <clears throat> oh, um, we, well, we did it. No, but we we did it um, without mentioning their names, and we did it. And some a lot of it was under seal. I think we did it the right way. I wish we had had more of it. Uh, some some of the um, some of the people who were on the jury who, who did not make it on the jury were obviously trying to sneak on, were told to sneak on. I mean, there were, there were a couple of people in disguises for Christ's sake. Um, and you I'm mean, not sure you why. mean among, among the veneer men? Among the- oh yeah 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 yeah. It was like it was yeah. Wow. You can see that yeah. There was one woman who wore a wig, who was trying to look older, and she. Uh, you know, painted herself as kind of an even-handed, you know, lawyer from, I don't know, Ohio or something. And she was like, um, way to the left of I've ever thought of being. <laughs> and even, even in your salad days. Even in my salad days. And I, I um, what I'm suggesting here is that the, the, judiciary, the judicial system, especially in D.C., made a very great, strong, good faith effort to manage these cases administratively, it's done an amazing job. It's doing them every day. It's half of what they do. But they went a little too far in letting, um, you know, certain kinds of theories in that I, I don't think were appropriate. Uh, again, future dangerousness, uh, obstruction, and um, conspiracy. The latter two, I think you'll see before the Supreme Court, at least the D.C. Circuit at some point. I don't know. So, I so let me ask you about, to move things a little bit to a little bit, a step in the direction of general judicial culture. One thing I, one thing that a lot of non-lawyers don't realize is that circuit court judges, appeal court judges, and district court judges, besides the fact that many of them know each other from their the time when the circuit court judges were trial judges, are typically still working in the same building. Yep. And D.C. in particular. In other words, here in the Third Circuit, where I'm sitting right now, you can have someone from the District of New Jersey. There's a pretty good shot they're going to end up, if they're elevated to the Third Circuit, in Philadelphia. There, there are a couple of judges who sit here, but, you know, so it might not be so much. But, but D.C. is this preposterously small circuit. Why they even have their own circuit is utterly beyond me and beyond. Yeah, they're, they're, they're one building. They're the two most important uh, courts probably in the United States, arguably, and two blocks away is the Supreme Court of the United States. Everybody in that building, not everybody, but most of them have had thoughts about being uh, Supreme Court justices because, frankly, they're in the running. They went to the right schools like Princeton and Northwestern and Duke. Uh, <laughs> they knew each other a lot of the time. 
uh, you'll find, I mean, I think Merrick Garland, I may have this wrong, Merrick Garland and Roberts, as different as they are, were even in law school at the same time together. Or, so is there really, an, is there any realistic chance for that, the, the, the DC circuit does any serious review? I don't mean, I don't mean to say that they're not, that they're, that, that they're frivolous people on the air. I understand your uh, question. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I was, I was surprised. We went to the DC circuit twice on retention. Twice. I mean, that's a, that was a lot. That was like half the, we were half for me. Most of this was, you know, getting Joe Biggs out of jail if I could. We were all trying to get these guys out of jail. And I thought that was the key to this whole thing anyway. I mean, what kept them in jail was the same thing that would support a conspiracy theory that a, ju a jury would hear. Oh, sure that. And that, the, that these people are, are, remain a danger, are, were, and rem, were, are, and rem, and will be a danger to the peace and to yeah, the, democracy. That, 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 that these guys, uh, some of whom didn't even want to go that day, January 6th, but were kind of asked to go because it's going to be a small group of problems, that these guys would do something well, exactly like this or something like this again. One argument I had that, that obviously failed was we were talking about retention one day. Biggs uh, and another were in a couple of jails, uh, a year in Florida jail, a year in the D.C. jail. And I said, look, they're more likely to be able to commandeer this from jail. <laughs> yeah, with the new contacts and the things they're learning than, <laughs> than they ever will from home, you know, in Ormond Beach, Florida. And, uh, you know, with their uh, uh, devices on, electronic devices on, and uh, uh, that that didn't, and, and you could, you'd hear stories from uh, all of the defendants, except one that I didn't talk to about this, or co-defendants said, people in the jails would say, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, like, or- you, you, you don't seem like one of us. <laughs> or, or, or there was one guy, one, one guy kept trying to vet uh, one of the clients, I can't remember, for being a white supremacist, if he was a real white supremacist, and he was totally disgusted that that maybe it was big. Just you're not a real white supremacist, <laughs> right? All the skin, plenty of skinheads for him to talk to. There, excuse my French, but you know, it just you know, uh, and uh, the I think the uh, the guards tended to like and respect these guys in jail. So you and, seem uh, you seem to have this general impression that. Whatever we saw and whatever even went wrong, to a large extent, the the uh, core judicial effort here was in made in good faith. Yes, and and uh, that these judges really took take their judges take their job seriously. Um, but I will, in a, in a broader sense, suggest to you that. There is a general sense among people in federal practice around the country, and I'm sure you've picked this up from others besides me, that the federal judiciary isn't what it was when we came into the profession. I I, I get that, and I don't know if you remember it, but one of the reasons my blog, that's how we met, I guess, Yeah. started was I wrote an article about uh, what about clients, but before that I'd written an article about federal judges, should they be better? And Griswold, Dean Griswold, uh, who is uh, in, uh, I guess, a Clevelander, who was a dean at uh, Harvard Law School for a while, wrote a book about what the federal judiciary was supposed to be. And it wasn't just that they had diversity cases because they would be more fair when people were from different states and people wouldn't get homered, you know, that kind of thing. That, that I mean, it was that they were supposed to, to, to be an example, never be prejudiced. Uh, it, it wasn't, let me put this right away, they had federal question jurisdiction, that made sense, but they also had diversity jurisdiction, and the notion was that, um, uh, and I, this is very clear to anybody who's looked at the Constitution or, or read about it or thought, taken kind of law, the idea was to make sure that people from different states, you know, didn't get, uh, people didn't get preferential treatment because they were from, you know, uh, Pittsburgh, and it was an old Pittsburgh thing. I mean, I was in Pittsburgh for a long time, and the joke was, there was actually a list of uh, uh, 
prices for throwing trials that some of the judges had. And they sound <laughs> defamatory, but that's a true rumor. And people would, I, I, I don't believe stuff like that. I'm kind of, I guess I'm a Boy Scout. But I, I uh, federal there's, judges. There's a lot less federal judges are supposed to be uh, different and better. And I'm not sure this. I think still, I, maybe I'm naive that probably am that all of these 15 judges, active judges on the D.C. court, were being those kind of federal judges. But still, so many strange things happened that I couldn't. Um, it, it just an odd way to explain it. And no, I'm not saying this so people don't attack me or the judges and you know mad at me. Yeah, that's I not... didn't see I, I have had members of the defense team tell me uh in a different case, a different uh January 6th case, that all of these convictions were engineered. I don't believe that. Engineered, in other words, the fix engineered, was like, it, it didn't yeah, matter. Starting around the time they started um putting people in jail, uh pre-trial. And I, I just didn't see that. And, and um, I mean, and what would they be maintaining were the mechanics of that? Like, how how would that have actually happened? That, they, that there was a, a secure meeting that took place between the judges and the DOJ? I, or, I mean, like, how would that actually happen? There, were, there were some odd conversations that happened between the DOJ, that I, I think that happened between the DOJ and the judges that must have happened ex parte because they, you know, we didn't hear about them and it's... Some of that ha happens because the judge does need to know what's going on in jails. He needs to know what's going on with the marshals, certain things that, uh, and some of these judges were new to this, um, uh, that they needed to keep on top of. But I didn't see that, but there are people that I respect say that, you know, somebody got to him or got to her or I, it, who say that, but I, I, I don't buy it. I don't think that's who we are. I don't think it's who we want to be. Um, I, think I also find, I've also like you, maybe we're the two wrong guys to be having this conversation because we're both Boy Scouts. I, I'm i always trying to explain to people uh, on the internet where I do, but that's really, really have any conversations. No one wants to talk to me in real life that this idea of corruption or, or blackmail, oh, they've got something. They've got something on Roberts. No, 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 no. First of all, Roberts, talk about Boy Scouts. There's nothing to have him on Roberts. Oh, no, no. This is like... Roberts reminds me of Senator Luger and one of the congressmen I worked for. They didn't even have traffic tickets. I mean, they were so straight, it was annoying. Yeah, right. I, so, and also, the, what the, a more profound misunderstanding is they they would think that these people would rule differently if you didn't have something on them. This is who they are. This is this is exactly what their careers would tell you their rulings would be. And this is exactly consistent with 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 their you know with, with their track record. Yeah, and I think I think that um, I believe and it's one of the reasons I don't want to be a judge. Uh, I believe ju I, I I am an activist in everything I've ever done. Um, you know, we've joked before about you know you put me on a if I was a judge or if I was a juror, I'd make a decision like that. I mean, that's just, just it is scary to think it is scary when you think of yourself. And you look at when a judge does something really right, and you say, to yourself, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." You know, and I, when I, just, I haven't able to engineer that, I, I just like, like, can you listen? I, we had this joke once. I think you and I were talking about. I I've been kicked off a lot. I, I don't get on juries. Nobody wants me on their jury, and um, people say, "Do you think you can listen to all the, even though you're a lawyer, listen to all the evidence and make a fair and balanced?" I go, "No." <laughs> <laughs> I want to make up my decision pretty quickly based on instincts that I may be wrong. That's who I am. But I, I think to get back to your point about, um, uh, I don't. If, if anything happened to the federal judiciary, I'm not really getting to the bottom of this. It was very inadvertent. It is not corrupt. It is just we've kind of lost its way. And I think that what you saw with January six cases was a very noble. An impressive good faith effort to take a little bit of leadership where you needed some. I mean, I don't want people going up saying it's the people's house, the capital anymore. I mean, that's and you know, I'll tell you something about that. It's really interesting. I, I listened to some. What do these judges say? Our judge three different times said in sentencing people. I think in other cases, people attacked the capital. And there was attacks in first time, first time since eighteen fourteen, right? And I heard him say, 
believe it was Judge Kelly, two or three times, three times. We can't get that back. We can't get that back. They were very offended by that, and rightly so. I'm offended by it. I think they have every right in the world to be offended by it. I'm not sure that the law has the right to be offended by it if they're, if it's not a seditious conspiracy. I agree. I agree. I agree. So it's a really bad trespass, and you throw the, the book at them for the trespass. And well, look, look who becomes judges, right? They're liberal arts majors. If they end up in D.C., they went to the same three schools we just mentioned. <laughs> um, they end up in D.C. They, they, they kind of have... This is one of the reasons I would, of all the players in this, I would probably put them um, near the top. Everybody screwed this up, but I would put the uh, 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 I would put the judiciary near the top in terms of good faith efforts to try to do something with this, uh, but maybe going a little bit overboard. And that's about as far as I can go with you. I mean, the mainstream press, I mean, they created a situation where even a relatively conservative guy like Judge Kelly would think that without knowing more, Proud Boys are scumbags. Proud Boys are scumbags, and Oath Keepers and Proud Boys are all the same. And I, I know really intelligent people to this day think that, you know, uh, somebody said the other day, I heard one of your uh, your uh, co-workers went to, uh, uh, it was incompetent to stand trial or something like that. And I said, well, that could be a number of them. Which one do you mean? And she said, uh, he said it was the Oath Keepers lawyer, and he meant somebody who was a defendant associated with the Oath Keepers Oath Keepers and Proud Boys couldn't be more different, but they scare people. And yeah, it's like, I mean, it's a, it's amazing what they did to turn the Proud Boys into boogeymen, given what you and I know to be the truth about the Proud Boys. I'm not going to say that they are necessarily Boy Scouts, but it's it's a joke. It's between a joke. the two of us, we know we we do know a lot about the Proud Boys, and. And you said something about Enrique that intrigued me, and I did wanted to make sure that I that I got more of an explanation before we, because believe it or not, you, as you and I will do, the time has blown past us, and we're starting to bore the people who. Don't are worry about it. nobody. Nobody will listen to this. That's true. That's true. Unless I start talking about, I can start telling uh, jokes about women. You know? <laughs> yeah, right, because this is still a platform that you're allowed to appear on, <laughs> Enrique, and you know it's it's Spanish, not French, so it's Enrique. Uh, who who I uh, who I know a little bit. Um, you seem to have come out of this experience, unlike a lot of people who I think observed mostly from afar, and, and had very harsh opinions about him. But you seem to have been impressed with 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 how he conducted himself. Yeah, I think I know, I think I'm I'm not saying uh, leading up to the trial we got him. I think the way he conducted himself at trial, uh, uh, the way he paid attention. I mean, he's a very smart. Guy. As you know, I'm I'm used to different kind of clients, and this is the first time I've ever had a client watch me do the best cross examination of my life, and then say, "You missed a spot over here. What was it?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like a what? What was what was that? What do you mean? What was that? This this thing that wasn't perfect. Uh, general counsel won't do that. Criminal defendant probably is allowed to do that. <laughs> but, uh, I thought Enrique was um, very good at uh, keeping people focused. Um, making sure the jury, um, uh, uh, I, I, I kept saying, you know, the jury is always watching you. They're especially watching you in this three-week trial, four-week trial, whatever. And I, I, I thought he was a good leader. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think he's perfect. I, I think all of the Proud Boys thought that any trial was kind of a wrestling match, you know, like the tag team, like, you know, they hit you, you should hit back. There's some things. Oh, well, but, but I, I mean, I, you know, yeah. you tend to, you tend to, as you were alluding to before, and, and and listeners don't know this, you tend to represent a more high-flying, sophisticated corporate clientele. My yeah, clientele although, although a lot of times with attitudes and personalities like Donald Trump. Okay. You know, but, and by the way, not representing him ever, so... And you, um, but, 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 you, but so, but we, so then we both know that lots of clients, they think that... If the other side is screaming and yelling, or you know, engaging in inappropriate lines, it's of a team sport. If you, you lose be... a ruling, it's because the judge didn't. You know, the judge uh, doesn't like you. And uh, we got some rulings that I thought were really, really good, uh, and almost like gifts. And a couple of times, the judge would say, "You know, it's like that old thing when you're a young lawyer, you win a point, and you keep arguing." 
you know, shut up. And the judge would just say, take the win, take the win. And I, I thought he, but but letting all that information in, and there's a lot of information that the Justice Department was playing in, again, going back to my point, the jury heard a non-conspiracy case and convicted for a conspiracy. That's wrong. There needs to be acquittal just on that. Um, and that's, you know, our system will do that. Will the D.C. Circuit do anything about it? I don't know. I mean, you may have a different version of uh, most, not all DC, not all circuit judges are former trial judges. No, nope. I just um, saw what they, I just saw what they did in, in the uh, Flynn ruling. And for yeah. me, it was over after that, that, that was, that was just so utterly partisan and over the top that I, you know, nothing. I, and I really had a lot of confidence in them, but. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I first had, um, since we're talking about it, during the 2004 um, uh, conflict, uh, the Gore-Bush uh, Supreme Court thing, I, for the first time ever, thought, my God, maybe there is something political about the Supreme Court there. It's a couple of things Scalia said, and it bothered me. Because I think the, 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 most of the people you'll find on a district court were appointed to, they're all appointed, there's only 800 district court judges, right? I mean, Article Three judges, there's not a lot of them. There's 10,000 state court judges or more. I mean, this is an elite group of people. And all of them, you know, have this kind of sense of, of I think, of, of uh, doing doing things the right way, uh, uh, making sure that, that that they care about their career. I don't look at them as being politically uh, motivated. They need to have a political operative appoint them, but I don't think that really drives what yeah, they do. People don't appreciate Trump. religion is law. They like the law. Yeah, that's right. Trump, I, I, one of my off most frequent tweets until I gave up on it the last few years was stop referring to a judge as Trump appointed or Obama appointed. Most judges are not political. Some they are, they just, no, no, you just need to get that's you know that that would be a good reason for me to be a judge. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I like you know I work for Republicans. Or, I mean, most of these people are people, and they need to be on certain teams. And to get appointed, you need to. But these guys aren't. You know, every once in a while you'll see a federal judge, political operative, but I haven't seen many of them. I haven't seen too many really bad, in the sense of I don't think I've seen any dishonest district court judges, which is pretty amazing. Elsie Hastings, maybe that that was different. But how many how many impeached federal court Article Three judges have we had? No, that's that's really rare. Uh, again, th th that's not what it's about. It, when a listen, we know that when a judge wants to get rid of a case, when and he or she knows how to get rid of a case, yeah. And when a judge wants to ignore a point that you've made, we know that that's but that is part of judging. That is simply is the nature of the beast. And you're a fool I, if you think I, otherwise. I thought it was really interesting that the, the press hasn't helped us in here. I mean, well, they uh, really first let's remember they don't understand a damn thing about what happens inside a courtroom. No, and I, and I think I thought there was some really uh, great writing, mainly from the left, uh, at least on covering the fact. Some great coverage of, of our trial. I mentioned that I was thinking uh, Brandy Buckman, uh, Marcy Wheeler, Roger Parloff, Jordan Fisher. These are people who were on the left and were honest enough in most cases to say, you know, maybe there really isn't a, a conspiracy here. I mean, that was, and they're. Whether they like to think of themselves this way or not, they're, they're probably activists. If you ask, you push them about, they'll say activists from the truth. But they're very smart people uh, that are trying to cover this the right way. They tend to be a little young, maybe culturally not quite as uh, steeped in um, uh, the history of the West. And uh, uh, I think cultural illiteracy is a problem, even in the press at this point. I'm not talking about these people, but I think, you know, we don't know what we used to know. But the press controls us. They set the impressions. And um, um, people are not as well educated as they used to be. So they go, oh, Trump appointee or, you know, uh, Obama appointee. And that's really not worthy the way those guys think. But you've, um, but there you've, you've got a narrative for your story. You've got a, a hook to hang it on. Yeah. And, and Alito is really interesting because Alito, I, 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 I used to uh, argue stuff before him, before the Third Circuit when I lived in Pittsburgh. This guy's like... He's an Amer he's an American dream machine. I mean, 
he he's normally the kind of guy that would end up being a democratic operative working class you know new jersey i think he went to princeton right it's all these guys go to the same school i'm trying to tell you that and um at, and, and he ends up the way he is i mean he is pure judge you don't have to like him he, he may have made this mistake or that mistake but these are not the kind of guys who uh these are you know uh people who the law is most important it's kind of like what do i have to do to be federal judge you got to get appointed okay i need this senator this congressman but you look at this crap that's coming out now this attacking of the supreme court based on you know who people pal around with or accept you know accept chinchilla coats from i mean they don't understand they just don't get it yeah and i i think that, that there are some narratives that the the i think the the press especially knows aren't true I think the press actually believes a lot of the press that the federal district, uh, federal judiciary is somehow political, especially at the Supreme Court level. And that's just not true. Um, me, as activist as I am, as creative as I like to be in, in my, my own head, I think that, or I like to think of myself as, I think that probably the uh, Federalist Society um, uh, has the best idea of what a judge should be. You know, that's a pretty radical, but I think they should be kind of on the passive side, not activists, instructionists. And I think that's what we've got with the Supreme Court. And I think even Merrick Garland knows that. He just, you know, is in such a minority. Uh, Thank God he's not on that court. That's all I can I'll, say. No, I, I, I wonder about him. But I, I, I hope I haven't meandered too much in this. No, Dan, I'm telling you, I believe um, we could do this for three hours because but people love, this is, a, you know, people love the war stories and they love to see how the legal sausage is made as long as they can, unlike us, uh, click yeah. off when they're done listening. You and I have to go back to, you know, answering the emails and arguing over redacted documents and crap like that. Uh, but believe it or not, we we are definitely on the max end of, of time. Thank you so much. Get yourself a new microphone and a new camera because your your career as a media darling, I think, is only beginning. And uh, let's stay in touch. See you later. Take care. Yeah, Dan. Thanks. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.